Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. Our reading this morning is from Jonah 1, 4 through 17. This is what Holy Scripture says. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because they had told him. he had told him. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to the dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they they cried out to the Lord, O Lord, let's not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it has pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three nights, three days, and three nights. May God bless the reading of his word. Well, good morning. My name is Jason. I'm pastor here at King's Church. We are continuing in our series through the book of Jonah in our second week. We, uh, last September started uh, looking at a summary statement of our vision for our church, uh, that we wanted to be a growing family rooted in Jesus, sharing God's love with our neighbors and the world. In September through the end of the year of last year, we, were, we looked at that idea of being a family. We looked at the biblical concept throughout the scriptures of what it would mean for us as a church to be a spiritual family the challenges of that, uh, the blessings of that, all that's included with that. Then in the new year, we uh, delve into the Gospel of John, and we started to look at uh, who Jesus is, and what would it mean to be rooted in Jesus? What would that look like for us as followers of Christ and as a church? 
And last week, we are now going into this series, Sharing God's Love, and we felt like there's no better place we could go than the book of Jonah, because the book of Jonah, I think maybe even better than any book in the Bible, addresses this idea of the, the kind of the disconnect we often have as God's people between God's heart and our heart. That often God has a heart for the enemy or for those that we consider to be the outsiders. God has a heart for them and oftentimes we don't. And that's what we see at the very beginning of the book of Jonah. The book starts off, we didn't read this portion, but the first couple of verses in Jonah chapter 1, it starts off with the word of the Lord coming to his prophet Jonah. And God says to Jonah, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Here God wants Jonah to travel to Nineveh, which was the enemy state of, of God's people, the Israelites. He wants him to go preach so that they might repent. And what we see is that Jonah does the exact opposite. And you can see in the map, uh, Nineveh there is up to the right of where Jonah was. Uh, Jonah goes down to Joppa, gets on a boat, and heads the opposite direction, goes into the heart of the Mediterranean Sea on a ship with a bunch of uh, pagan sailors. Jonah, um, we might call, is the anti-hero in this story. Oftentimes we view the Bible as, as a collection of characters of people that we're supposed to follow their example. Jonah is not an example to follow. He's the anti-hero of this story. And I was, I was looking online at that, that idea of um, examples of what not to do, and I came across this post, this blog post on the Huff Post, or Huff, um, Huffington Post, and there was a title of a blog post that said, Do you want your life to serve as a warning or as an example? <laughs> and, and Jonah is kind of like a perfect example of what not to do. He's more of the warning of, what, of how not to respond to God's call. Jonah runs from God physically. He gets on this boat to go the opposite direction. But we see that Jonah has also run from God emotionally, psychologically, and, emo and, and, and that's the consequence of his actions. That's the consequence of his decision. All right, sounds like we're back. I'm just going to stay here now that I'm here. <laughs> now that I'm close to you. Um, am I in the light? I'm not in the dark, am I? I'm okay. Okay. Um, so Jonah chooses to run from God. He's asleep to what God is doing in this moment. And it's the consequences of his actions. But the reality is, for some of us, when we experience these storms in life... It's not a consequence of our actions. It was for Jonah, but it wasn't for the sailors. The sailors were not the cause of this storm, and yet they were in the midst of it. They were enduring it. Now notice the sailors. What's their response? We're told in verse 5, they're afraid. 
And they cried out, each cried out to his God. Each cried out to his God. Now, isn't it true that storms will do this for many of us? It will create and cultivate and spur within us a desire to cry out. It's almost like a reflex within the human heart. Maybe you've heard the phrase, there are no atheists in a foxhole. Now, atheists argue against that phrase. (laughs) But I think it is true, you would agree with me, that oftentimes when we're confronted with our own mortality, when we're confronted with a real threat to our lives, the instinct is to cry out. The instinct is to turn to a higher power. That is a basic human reflex. Something happens to us when we endure a storm that there's a part of us that's revealed that wouldn't normally be revealed when we're going through our comfortable lives. Paul talks about, I think, this part of us in Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1, Paul makes this case, he makes this argument, and I'm speaking to those of you here today who maybe don't believe in God, and, and, and maybe you're not obstinately not believing in God, you just don't know what you believe, but some of you might be obstinate about it. But P- the Apostle Paul would argue that you know God exists, that you have within you an understanding, an awareness of God that you're suppressing. Now, if Paul's right, it makes sense that when you endure a situation where your life is threatened, that that truth would come out. And that part of you that you're suppressing would be revealed. And so maybe you've experienced that. Your life has been at risk, and maybe, maybe in a car wreck, maybe a health issue, whatever it might be, and your instinct was to call out. And so you can probably relate well with these sailors. Now, Jack Miller was a, a pastor and author that I um, read, read quite often. He's passed away long ago. But he told, tells a story when he served as a chaplain at a hospital. And he was called uh, to a room to speak to a patient. And he got there, and the patient was sitting up in his bed smiling. And he said, oh, pastor, I'm so glad... I'm so sorry. Um, See, what happened was my doctor came to talk to me and he got my record, my medical records mixed up with another patient who had a terminal cancer. And uh, he told me I only had a couple months to live. And when he told me that, I started thinking, oh my gosh, I started thinking about God and wanted to talk to somebody. So I I asked them to call you to come talk to me. Well, I found out the doctor got my records mixed up with somebody else. I'm not dying, so I don't really need to talk to you. (laughs) So here's a situation of someone whose life was at risk. This reality, this understanding that maybe there is a God, maybe I need to deal with that. It came out, but once he found out, no, his life wasn't at risk, he said, no, I don't, I don't need to address that. Is that you? Are you at that place? Could it be that you're so comfortable that the greater realities of life and maybe the reality that God does exist and that he's someone that you could know, are you willing to take the time to consider that? You don't have to wait for a storm. 
You don't have to wait for a storm in your life to spend the time to address these very important issues. Christopher Hitchens, well-known atheist, uh, died of cancer many years ago. He developed a friendship with a Christian author, and they actually had several debates on the existence of God and the Christian faith over the years. And at one point, uh, Hitchens and this, this Christian author took a road trip through the Appalachian Mountains, and it was a beautiful day. They were in the car together, driving, and, and um, Larry uh, Taunton, the Christian author, writes about the conversation this way. He says, they were riding along in a, in a strong, clear voice. Christopher was reading from the 11th chapter of the Gospel of John. Reaching the 25th and 26th verses, his face lights up with recognition. He stops. I know this one too, he says. I did not recall its connection with the resurrection of Lazarus. There he's talking about Jesus speaking, you know, of, of the resurrection, the life, uh, giving pe uh, people hope. Um, Hitchens recognizes it, and Larry says it's a great verse. And, and Charles Dickens thought so too, Christopher Hitchens says. He says, do you believe us thou this, Larry Towton? And he says, you know, Hitchens' voice was kind of sarcastic at the time. And Larry says, I do, but you already knew I do, I did. The question is, do you believe us thou this, Christopher Hitchens? And he says, as if searching for a clever response, he hesitates and he speaks with unexpected transparency. I'll admit that it is not without appeal to a dying man. It is not without appeal to a dying man. And friends, we are all dying. One way or another, we are all headed to that great storm one day. Don't wait. Don't wait to call out. To spend the time considering your greater meaning and purpose in life. And that there is a God that loves you. Because when we hit these storms, we're confronted with the reality of our mortality. Our inability to control our environment, our dependency. That's what storms do to us. That's what the storm did to these sailors. Notice throughout the story how the sailors respond. They desperately want to control their situation, don't they? They throw the cargo overseas to lighten the ship. They think, well, maybe we can control it and save ourselves if we do that. Then they cast lots to determine who's, who's the cause here, trying to figure out how can we get this storm to stop. Then they decide even they're going to try rowing harder back to shore. They're doing everything they can to save themselves, to control their situation. And time and time again, the storm just gets worse and they realize, ultimately, they are out of control. And friends, so are you. You are weak. You are dependent. Stop pretending otherwise. You don't need a storm to show you that. You can know that and believe that and trust that today. Sometimes we try to control our lives by becoming religious. And I think that's what we see these sailors doing. And unfortunately, what these sails, sailors fall into is the temptation to, to follow a fear-based 
religion. Did you notice that? A fear-based religion. A kind of religion that says, God, I'll, I'll believe in you, I'll obey you, if fill in the blank. Fill in the blank. I have a friend, Michael Yu, he lives up in Seattle. He was visiting this week. He was down in town. I was talking with him, and he said he was teaching the kids at his church a lesson about why they should obey God, and he was asking these kids, why do you obey God? And he said, unfortunately, answer after answer was, because I don't want to go to hell. (laughs) Now, we we don't want that to be our kids' answer. That is a fear-based religion. Now, now, true, but it's a fear-based response. And we can have that response when it comes to believing in God. We, we experience storms, and we say we're going to obey, we're going to believe, and we expect God to respond and to remove us from the storm and to make things better. But what we see in the story is these sailors can't, They cannot manipulate God. They cannot control their situation. Obedience does not lead to the storm being quieted. Them obeying God, them crying out to God, them offering all these things are not the answer to their situation. And what this story shows us is the greatest storm each and every one of us will face is the wrath of God, isn't it? We see God, I mean the storm, obviously in the story, is God's, I would say, gracious wrath as he pursues Noah or Jonah. We talked about it last week. And we might think that's archaic and we might laugh at that, but that's, that's what the story is showing us is God's wrath in this storm and the sailors doing everything they can within themselves to calm it and nothing works and i hope you see that and that you and i can learn from that that our relationship with god is not dependent upon our religious response our obedience we cannot avoid and escape the storm based on how good we become, how obedient we become. The storm is calmed only by the sacrifice of another. Only by a sacrifice of another. That's what the story is showing us here in the person of Jonah. In this moment, indeed, Jonah is somewhat of a hero. I know I mentioned Jonah is the anti-hero, but we see this glimpse don't we, in the story where Jonah tells the sailors, pick me up, hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it's because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Now, scholars debate on Jonah's motivation here. Some say Jonah truly sees what's happening, and out of love, out of concern for these sailors, Jonah sacrifices himself and tells them, throw me into the sea, in that sense, yes, Jonah is a hero. Others com- other commentators say, Jonah would rather die than go to Nineveh. <laughs> he is so intent on not going to Nineveh, he's like, throw me into the sea. I'd rather die than go preach to those pagan Ninevites. <laughs> now, maybe he's somewhere in between. I, I, I don't know. 
But what we do see is one being sacrificed for the many. And we're seeing something fundamental in how you and I must relate to God. And that like the sailors, we have to come to that point where we stop trying to do things on our own. We stop trying to use our obedience to manipulate God. And instead, we come to that place of complete dependence and look to the sacrifice of the one for the many. And we see the sailors come to that point, don't they? In verse 15, they pick Jonah up, they hurl him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. And what we see is that the sailors' fear increases even more in verse 16. We're told that the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Their fear increases as the story goes until at the very end, when Jonah is hurled into the sea, the storm stops. Their fear is at its height, except it's not fear as in fear of punishment. Here, it's a fear of awe, a fear of majesty, a fear of worship. We see them turn to sacrifice and make vows to the Lord, the true God. You see, their their relationship to God is transformed here, I believe. They see the sacrifice of love that Jonah offers. And I think for the sailors, it turns from this religion of fear to a religion of love. And that's the change that has to happen for so many of us. We see this in John, 1 John chapter 4, where John shows us what the foundation of our faith is as Christians. He says, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Here, John is showing us what the foundation of our faith is. It is a faith of love. When those kids are asked, why should they obey God? They obey God because God loves me. I obey God because God loves me. And I know he loves me because of what Jesus Christ has done for me. That's the switch that has to happen for us to truly become followers of Christ and to truly be able to share His love with others is that we know that we are loved fully and sacrificially in the person of Jesus Christ. And we no longer have to relate to God out of fear. But it's a, it's a sacrifice of love. And if you, want, if you want to kind of get a feel for the difference between the two, this religion of fear and religion of love, I have this chart. Um, it gives you an idea of the difference between religion and gospel. Um, religion is, I obey, therefore I am accepted. Gospel is, I'm accepted, therefore I obey. Religion tells us motivation is based on fear and insecurity. But the gospel tells us motivation is based on grateful joy. I'm not worried that God's going to get me. I know that Jesus has paid it for me, and therefore I'm loved in him. Religion says I obey God in order to get things from God. The gospel says I I obey God to get God and enjoy him. That one is so key when we think about the storms. We don't obey, we don't love God so that he'll remove the storms. 
that would be religion. I obey God in order to get things from God. Or when things go wrong, I'm angry at God or myself since I believe that anyone who is good deserves a comfortable life. That's religion. But gospel says when things go wrong, I struggle, but I know all my punishment fell on Jesus. God will care for me as a father in my trial. And so, friends, for all of us, when you read this story, what I want you to see is how we are like these sailors, that we, too, relate to God in this fear-based way, this fear-based religion so often, and we need to see the sacrifice of love of the one for the many and how we, through that sacrifice, can come to know God more truly, more deeply, and know His love for us. And so now we're going to enter into this time of communion. I'm going to ask you to to join me as we prepare our hearts. Let me uh, read this prayer, and then there will be a response that I'll ask you to read with me. Help us, O God, to love as Christ loved. Knowing our own weakness, may we stand with all who stumble. Sharing in his suffering, may we remember all who suffer. Held in his love, may we embrace all whom the world denies. Rejoicing in his forgiveness, may we forgive all who sin against us. Give us strength to serve you faithfully until the promised day of resurrection. When with the redeemed of all the ages, we will feast with you at your temple in glory. Would you read with me? Through Christ, with Christ. In Christ, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor are yours, eternal God, now and forever. Amen. Come to the Lord's table, all you who love him. Come to the Lord's table, confess your sin. Come to the Lord's table and be at peace. We're going to have four stations, up, two up front, two in the back. On my left, we'll have uh, one station that will have grape juice. The other three stations will have wine. And we'll ask you as you come forward, um, if you need a non-bread wafer, another option for those with dietary restrictions, those will be in the front stations as well. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and after giving it, or or, uh, giving thanks, He broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, This is my body given for you. Take, eat, in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup. And after giving thanks, he gave it to his disciples, saying, This is my shed blood, the blood of the new covenant for the forgiveness of sins. Take, drink it in my name. Those who are serving, would you come forward?